You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. at uh, all of the men there in Hebrews 11, uh, just one at a time, and we're kind of getting uh, close there to the top of the uh, mountain and getting finished with uh, this series. But this morning, I want to look at a man uh, by the name of Joshua. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 30 says, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Now, this verse and the one that precedes this, uh, Hebrews eleven twenty nine, are probably two of the greatest miracles ever witnessed by the nation of Israel. Uh, verse 29 kind of deals with that miraculous moment. You'll remember when Moses comes and he leads the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, they're on their way to the promised land and they camp for a night and uh, Pharaoh decides he wants to re-enslave the nation so they go after them and kind of back them into a corner there. Their back's up against the Red Sea and remember that Moses kind of just... Uh, uh, takes his staff and he parts the waters and the nation of Israel is allowed to walk across there, that wall of water on dry ground. You remember when the Egyptians tried to go after them, that wall of water kind of came and swallowed them up and destroyed uh, those uh, Egyptians. And verse 30 kind of deals with the victory, that great victory at Jericho where these massive walls kind of just come crumbling to the ground. We're going to look at that a little bit more uh, here this morning. But between those two verses, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and the wall of Jericho crumbling, I mean, there's kind of 40-year gap in between those two great events. And the main reason for this is that 40, 40 years between, again, the Red Sea and the walls of Jericho, these 40 years were kind of a period of time where God is disciplining, he's chastising uh, the, the nation of Israel because of their unbelief, there's rebellion against God, there's grumbling against Moses and his leadership. And so Moses is the one who led the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, and Joshua, in taking the the reins of leadership from Moses when Moses dies, he's the one who's going to kind of take them into the promised land and bring down the walls of Jericho. Now, the life of Joshua has really kind of been aptly described as the immovable object meets the irresistible force. In other words, during Joshua's life under his leadership, that immovable object, the walls of Jericho, meet the irresistible force of Joshua's faith. And that's kind of what Hebrews 11 verse 11, uh, verse 30 there is kind of speaking to. Let me give you just a little bit of background on uh, Joshua because even though he was used mightily of God and has an Old Testament book that is named after him, he's not as well known as some of the other Old Testament characters. First of all, Joshua was one of these men who was just of impeccable character. Throughout his life, as, as through the scriptures there, you do not find one instance of failure on his part. Now, I'm not suggesting that Joshua was perfect nor sinless. Um, I'm not 
uh, suggesting any of that. But again, there's no recorded instances in Scripture where he is in sin or rebellion against God. There's never a time where he's complaining or kind of bucking up against Moses' uh, authority, as were so many other leaders uh, of Israel at that time. Joseph was a prince of Ephraim. He was a part of the great war tribe. His name, Joshua in the Hebrew, that name means um, Jehovah, Lord, is salvation. Interestingly, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it kind of describes Jesus as the captain of our salvation. And the reason I kind of uh, bring that in is because Joshua, uh, according to many uh, biblical scholars, they really believe that Joshua kind of served as a type, as a foreshadowing, a forerunner uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting because the names Joshua and Jesus are two forms of the same Hebrew name, Yahshua. And therefore, a lot of scholars, again, kind of just believe that Joshua represents a type or a picture, uh, kind of an Old Testament symbolic forerunner of Jesus. And just as Joshua led uh, the nation of Israel into the promised land, so too one day uh, the Lord Jesus Christ Christ will lead his people into the land of promise. Now, Joshua is about 85 years old, and at the time when he uh, acquires the leadership uh, of Israel from Moses, and it is during that time as he's kind of just um, under the uh, authority, as he's under the, the tutelage of Moses, that he really acquires a great deal of wisdom. I mean, he's, he's watching, he's very aware of what Moses is doing, of what he has done, and, and through everything that Moses does, uh, he just kind of is learning and he's acquiring a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great leadership skills. As a matter of fact, Joshua was um, one of only two men who were over the age of 20 um, that were allowed to enter into the promised land. You remember as they leave Egypt and they kind of spend 40 years just wandering aimlessly through the wilderness, uh, again, because of their rebellion, they're grumbling and complaining against Moses, and so there's just like a whole generation of people that are just allowed to perish in the wilderness. And Joshua and one other guy uh, were over the age of 20, were the only two of that generation that were allowed to enter into uh, the promised land. One of the things that really kind of made Joshua stand out and really made him such a great leader was the fact that for many years, he was perfectly content to kind of be the second man, the second uh, person on the totem pole. For years, Joshua kind of just stands in this enormous shadow of Moses, uh, and at no time do we read that Joshua ever tried to betray, never did he try to rebel, never did he try to usurp any of Moses' authority. At no time does he ever try to just undermine Moses' leadership. He was very, very content, Joshua was, just to kind of remain behind the scenes, kind of that unsung hero. And he was really there just to support, to encourage the leader that God had put over the nation of Israel, kind of knowing that there was going to come a day in a time when Moses would no longer be there and Joshua would assume leadership. Well, in Deuteronomy 33, the very, very 
end of the book of Deuteronomy, we read, uh, it's recorded there, the death of Moses. And again, all of these years that uh, Joshua kind of served under Moses had been for this very moment where Joshua was going to be called to take charge and to lead the nation um, of Israel. So the book of Deuteronomy kind of uh, chapter 33 ends, and then the very next book is the book of Joshua. And I want to just read to you um, that opening, the, the opening verses of Joshua, because it is so key to everything that happens to Joshua um, as he's leading the nation of Israel. I just want to go chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates rivers in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. God had kind of a theme going there, didn't he? I mean, it kind of tells him three times there. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I want to just kind of go back, and I want you to kind of help me find the promises of God. Because this is kind of what we're, this is what faith is all about. If there's no promises, and I've, I've been really trying to drill this uh, as the main point throughout this series. If you do not have a promise of God, there is nothing for you to put faith into. Okay? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word or the promise of God, right? If there's no word of God, there's nothing to, to put your faith into, right? Y'all understand that, right? You gotta have a promise, and so it is, it is the promise, it's the word of God that Joshua is able to kind of just put his faith into. This is, this is where his faith is directed to. It is in the word, it's the promise of God. Now the first promise in verse 3 says, I promise you what I promised Moses. And that's huge. He says, wherever you set foot, you will be on the land I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates rivers in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Okay? First promise. Verse 5, there's three promises that God gives him in there. He says, Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. They're going to try, but they're not going to be able to stand against you. He says, second one, I will be with you as I was with Moses. 
I will not fail you or abandon you. Three promises, huge. Next promise, verse six, be strong and courageous for you are the one, Joshua. You are the one who is gonna lead these people to finally possess all the land I first promised to your forefather, Abraham. Next promise, found in verse seven. He says, then you will be successful in everything you do. Big promise. So long as Joshua does everything that uh, God commanded exactly as Moses has done it, he would be successful. Next promise. Now, this is what I would call a conditional promise, meaning Joshua has to do something in order to receive uh, this particular promise. So God says, study this book of instruction continuously. Now, he's talking about the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, those were written, they're given to Joshua. God says, okay, this is the instruction, this is the owner's manual. Study this, he says, continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then, okay, get that, underline that in your Bible, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. See, we want to prosper and we want to succeed in everything we do, but we don't want to do it according to the rules. We don't want to do it according to God's laws or God's books. We're going to do it our way, and God, you're going to bless whatever we say to bless. That's just not how it works. It says, do you realize, again, the promises that were given to Joshua from God, do you realize those promises still hold true today? Again, if you'll study this book continually, if you will meditate on God's law day and night and obey everything written in it, not just the easy ones, not just the ones you agree with, not the ones, you know, that um, maybe, you know, um, that are uh, ones that maybe you uh, like or, or maybe your grandma likes or something like that, just everything, you will prosper and succeed. Look at how Psalms opens. I mean, chapter one, verse one, look what it says. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I mean, you cannot be blessed and be walking in, in, in by the advice or the counsel of wicked people. It just isn't gonna happen. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Again, who doesn't participate in the sins of other people. You can love them, you can pray for them, you can witness to them, you can bless them, but just don't participate in their works of darkness, is what he's saying. And don't, don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't, don't be around people who are mocking God or mocking Christianity. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Kind of sounds familiar to what God said to Joshua there. And here's the result. Again, this is conditional. If you'll do this, there is a promise that God gives that is conditional. He says, you will be like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That is a conditional promise to God, to us. Again, it's very, very similar to that promise that God gave to Joshua back there in verse 8. Final promise is found in verse 9. 
He says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as Joshua is about ready to assume this mantle of leadership, following Moses, I mean, Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it just opens with these eight amazing, incredible, awesome promises by God. And again, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As Joshua hears what God is saying, what God is promising to him, it is building, it is increasing faith in Joshua. And these are not given to Joshua by Moses. This isn't communicated to Joshua by an angel. These promises to Joshua were given to him by God himself. These promises come to Joshua's ear from God's lips. Now, interestingly, the promise of success that you find there in the book of uh, Joshua in verse 7 particularly, this is the only time in the whole Old Testament that that particular word success is used. That word success in the Hebrew, the only time you find that word used is in Joshua 1.7. So it's amazing, before Joshua does anything to move the nation of Israel forward, following Moses' death, God begins his reign of leadership by giving him these eight awesome, incredible promises. These, again, are his personal promises from Almighty God. If Joshua had one of those, you know, God's promise books, This would be kind of the first eight that would lead that list off. And Joshua has uh, these 40 years of history with Moses. He's watched Moses. He's listened to Moses. And he knows that um, what God was able to do uh, through Moses, again, despite overwhelming odds, uh, there were difficult people, trying circumstances. Joshua watched time and time again as no matter what came against Moses, God was faithful to every promise he made to Moses. And Joshua knows, man, if the Lord is going to be with me the way he was with Moses, then all things are possible, no matter how impossible they may look, as soon as he's soon going to find out. So again, Joshua is armed with these, again, eight amazing, incredible promises, and he leads the nation of Israel forward into the promised land. Now, when you get into chapter two of Joshua, You'll find the story of a prostitute named Rahab. And we're going to talk more about her because, as you're going to find out next week, Rahab goes into rehab and God uses her uh, in an amazing way. And we're going to talk more about her story uh, next week. So as they march forward into the promised land, what is the first challenge that awaits this nation of Israel, this new leader, Joshua, nothing other than the city of Jericho and its fortified walls. So Joshua chapter six, we're just gonna kind of jump over there, uh, verse one. It says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. You'll find out more next week when we talk about Rahab, exactly what they were frightened about. And it was shut up so tightly that no one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all of its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. 
Seven priests will walk ahead of the Ark of the Covenant. That was God's presence among the nation of Israel at that time in the Ark of the Covenant. It said, each priest carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you were to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, I just want you to notice something there in verse 2. As the Lord is kind of giving this to Joshua, before the first march of the first day around that walled city of Jericho, before any ram's horn sounds, before any of the people began shouting, it says, God already gave him Jericho, its kings, and its strong warriors. What he says there is, I've already given, it's past tense, before you even take one step around that walled city, it is done. Remember what Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So once Joshua hears those words from God, once he receives that promise from God, I have already given you Jericho, its king and its mighty warriors, before you take one step around that city, Joshua knows. He is assured, he is guaranteed, this is a done deal. That's his faith manifesting there. That is his response to the word, the promise of God. God, you said it. You're faithful. You can do anything. That's his faith manifesting there. He's completely confident, having heard what God said, that it will actually happen. That's the power of faith. Hebrews 11.2 says, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. Joshua had a good reputation because he was a strong man of faith. If God said it, he's faithful, he can do it, and he will. Now, if you read the attack plan that God laid out there in verses three through five, you gotta admit, it seemed pretty, you know, kind of outlandishly far-fetched, right? I mean, the walls of Jericho that surrounded and protected the city were about six feet thick. I'm 6'3". So, you know, those walls were pretty thick. They were probably about 17 feet high. We're not talking plywood and plasterboard. These are huge, solid, enormous walls, all designed to keep the people inside safe and to keep the enemies outside at bay. So Joshua hears this and I mean, to an average person, we would probably be thinking, seriously, God? We're going to march around thick, tall, fortified, enormous walls once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around that wall, that city, seven times. We're going to blow ram's horns. People are going to begin shouting, and the walls are just going to collapse. Are you serious? But that is exactly what they do, and it is exactly what happens. Now, one of the amazing things is, is that you don't get the sense in Scripture that Joshua told them the whole plan at the beginning. He doesn't tell the people at the beginning how many times they're going to march around that walled city. They were basically given their marching orders, their instructions, one day at a time. 
So the first day they get up and Joshua says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march one time around the walled city of Jericho, and I don't want anybody to make a sound. We're just going to do this in a silent procession. So the people get up. They march around the wall quietly. They go back to their camp, have dinner, go to bed. Day two rolls around. Joshua says, get up. We're going to march around the walled city of Jericho once, no talking, and they do that. They go back to camp, have dinner, go to bed. They get up. This goes on for six days. They just get up that day, and Joshua says, here's what we're going to do. Now, I don't know what the response of the people would have been if Joshua kind of would have laid out the whole battle plan there at the beginning. They might have just thought, are you crazy? Are you nuts? So Joshua kind of just says, here's what we're going to do day by day. Do you realize that so much of Joshua's confidence in God's seemingly foolish battle strategy came from those eight amazing promises God made to Joshua at the very beginning. God doesn't wait until they're marching around the wall and then God says, oh, by the way, Joshua, I forgot to mention some promises. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to get these into your head. I want you to get these into your heart because it is really going to be the formula of your success for everything that you do from this point forward. So God starts his, uh, his ministry. God starts his, Joshua's leadership there in chapter 1, verse 1, and he just lays out, here are my promises. And so much of his confidence in God came from those promises he had received. No matter how ridiculous anything God asked Joshua to do, his focus and his faith was on God, on his promises that God laid out there in chapter 1 as he took the reins of leadership over Israel. When God told Joshua he would be with him as he was with Moses, again, Joshua witnessed over and over how God did the impossible with Moses. I mean, he's thinking, yeah, I remember how God would oftentimes use weak and foolish things to confound the ways of the wise and the powerful. I mean, Joshua had witnessed the incredible miracle power of God through those 40 years with Moses. And he just kind of comes to this place in his faith, his level of confidence in God and God's promises that no matter what God was going to do, whether it made any sense at all, if God says, this is what I'm going to do, Joshua knew, this is what God's going to do. When, Joshua, when God told Joshua, no one, Joshua, will be able to stand against you as long as you, as long as you live, he knew God meant it. No one and nothing will stand, no matter how tall or thick, if God said it's coming down, Joshua believed it's coming down. I think every challenge Joshua faced, and there were many, no matter how overwhelming, no matter how difficult, how impossible it seemed, I just think he kept going back to those promises that God made. And he would just forge ahead in complete faith that God was not going to abandon him. God was not going to leave him. God was not going to allow anyone to be able to stand against him. Do you see why having promises from God is so important? It's why I've been encouraging you, get in here. You know, we, we've got the Bible, the, the promise books. I think pretty much hopefully everybody's gotten one by now. 199 promises of God. Find promises from God. 
that, that pertain to your situation, that pertain to challenges or difficulties you're going through in life. Like I said, if you've got financial issues, find the financial promises. If you're here struggling with sickness and disease, find the, find the promises of healing and just stand on those. Again, if you don't have a promise, if you don't have God's word, you have nothing to stand on. There's nothing for your faith to respond to. This is why it is so important. And do you realize they took that whole city? I mean, they completely destroyed all of Jericho, and they did not lose one life among the nation of Israel. They didn't need people power because they had promise power. They had God's word. They had his promises, and that's all they needed to succeed and to prosper. Joshua was like what the Apostle Paul said concerning Abraham in Romans 4.21. He said he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? This is the fullness of faith. This is the maturity of faith. When we are fully convinced, as Abraham, as Joshua that God is able to do whatever he promises despite what circumstances or naysayers may say, we will succeed, we will prosper in whatever God calls us to do. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, for in Christ Jesus, every one of God's promises is a yes. Do you realize no matter what that promise in here is, if you'll just say, oh oh God, here's, here's a promise, God, Will, will you promise that to me? It says every one of them is a yes to you. Do you have a promise? Are you standing on promises? Like I said, some of you have got faith in your faith. That's nothing. It's no good. It'll get you nowhere. If it's not a promise of God, there's nothing to put your faith into. There's nothing for your faith to respond to. That's why every one of God's promises is a yes. Not a maybe, not a might, yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. I'm gonna close this morning. Um, I wanna read to you from the book of Second Peter, and like I did with the book of Joshua, as I go through this, I want you to look for, I want you to think about, I want you to meditate. I want this just to kind of wash over you this morning. I want this to penetrate your heart, penetrate your spirit. And as we're going through it, I want you to to ask yourself, what are the promises? What are the conditions? In other words, what has God promised me? And what do I need to do in order to receive or to inherit what God is promising me in this scripture. Second Peter, um, again, I, uh, chapter one, it just opens, uh, this opens uh, the book. It says, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, who's one of the disciples, obviously. And he said, I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. Now, if you're here this morning and you share the same precious faith that Peter shares, he says, this is written for you. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Are you ready for a promise? 
May God give you more and more grace and peace. How many of you want that this morning? Lord, I want to grow in more peace. I want to grow in more grace. Here's the condition. As you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So you're not going to get more and more grace and peace unless you're going to be willing to commit yourself to growing in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. How do we grow in our knowledge? The word. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it day and night. By his divine power. Ready for another promise. God has given, past tense, it's already done. It's been deposited. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. It's already there. All you got to do is just access it, act upon it. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given, again past tense, it's already done, it's already been deposited, he has given us great and precious promises. Do you have them? Do you have a promise, promises from God that you're standing on? Because if you don't, again, folks, there's nothing to put your faith into. God does not want you to have faith in your faith. That doesn't do anything. God wants you to have faith in his word, in his promises to you. You can't build, you can't increase your faith if there's no promises of God in your heart or life. He's given us great and precious promises. Now get this. These are the promises that enable you or empower you to share his divine nature. Do you get a sense how important these promises are? This is what enables you to share his divine nature. It also enables you to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. These are powerful promises. They enable you to share his divine nature. They enable you to escape the world's corruption, the evil caused by human desires, greed. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. This is your responsibility. This is your response to these great and precious promises. You've got to make every effort to respond to God's promises. There's, this isn't a passive thing. Ready for this one? Supplement your faith with a generous, sizable provision, portion of moral excellence. We are a world, we are a culture awashed in immorality. 
People oftentimes sit around and think, why doesn't God do anything in my life? Well, they're living together with people they're not married with. They're sexually active outside of marriage. They're drunk. They're doing drugs. They're into porn. These are born-again Christians, supposedly. And then they're sitting there wondering, why doesn't God bless me? Why doesn't God use me? They're out committing adultery. There's conditions to this. God says, I'm going to do this, but you've got to be willing to do this. So he says, supplement your faith. Add to your faith a sizable, generous provision of moral excellence. I think he starts with that one because that's the one where I think most of us get messed up. And moral excellence with knowledge Knowledge in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And knowledge with self-control. Oh, I can't help it. Yes, you can. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. It says the more you grow like this, the more productive, the more useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he has something to say to those of you who are not. But those who fail to develop this, to develop in this way, are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard. Again, there's nothing passive about this. There's nothing easy about this. Work hard, persevere to prove that you really are among those who God has called and chosen. It's called fruit. Do these things and you will never fall away. Does that sound a little familiar to what he promised Joshua there back in Joshua chapter one? If you'll follow the book, if you'll do what Moses did, no one will ever stand against you. You'll never fall away. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is, that's, that's the grandest promise of them all. To get to the end of this life and to make that grand entrance into the eternal kingdom And there you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So this week, I want to just encourage you. 2 Peter chapter 1. As you kind of get up in the morning and you kind of are just taking the reins of the day. Take time to go back and look at this. And just read through what we've read through here this morning. And just make this a prayer. 
God, I, I would ask, Lord, that you would just help me to grow more and more in your grace and peace as you increase my knowledge in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I would ask, Lord, that, that you would just give me a generous provision of moral excellence and just take this scripture and as you just begin to embark on a new day, that you would just simply say, God, would you just bring this word? Would you cause this word to begin to just bear fruit for you in my life? Just take a few moments and just read through that and just pray through that and ask God, God, would you just manifest this in my life today? Amen? Let's stand. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the life of Joshua. We thank you for his example of faith. And again, this morning, God, I would just speak over this people that if there's anyone here this morning that does not have a promise from God, Father, I would just ask, Lord, that you would begin to speak, that you would begin to cause them to grow more and more in their understanding. God, that you would just begin to reveal to them those precious, those magnificent promises that you have for us that are in your word. Father, I pray that they would be uh, promises that would be relevant, that they would be pertinent to issues, to struggles, to needs, maybe difficulties that they're experiencing in life. That God, through those promises, they would receive encouragement. Father, that you would use those promises just to build, just to encourage faith in them. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as we go forth in this new week, I pray, Lord, as we just take time to look at those words there in 2 Peter. Father, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just begin to wash over our hearts, to wash over our spirits. That God, this would just become a prayer. This would become a focus for us as we just take on each day. And Father, I would just ask, Lord, that as we do that, that God, you would just cause all of those promises that you have in there, Lord, that they would just overflow, that they would begin to manifest mightily in our lives, that people would begin to see the fruit of your promises working through and in our lives. And Father, we again just thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you again for all of these examples of faith. And Father, I pray that it would cause us to rise up and to be greater and stronger men and women of faith as well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.